thinking about resolutions, New Year's resolutions and all that stuff. I was actually thinking about what resolutions Jesus would make. And then I thought that he was perfect, so he probably wouldn't make any because he doesn't need to improve on anything. And so I was kind of stumped. And then I thought, well, what resolutions would he make if he were me? So this is the first annual What Would Jesus Resolve If He Were Us message. W-W-J-R-I-H-W-U. We're going to get bracelets. When you're going out, you'll have them. You can wear them around. Tell everybody, this is what Jesus would resolve if he were us. These things are not tied together at all. They're just some random thoughts that I had. Um, and so you can grab onto them. They're not in any order. And hopefully some of it will stick. The first thing I thought Jesus would resolve if he were us was to realize that everything is fixable. Revelation 21.5, God says, I'm making everything new. And so if we know that God will make everything new in the end, we can be confident that he can make anything new now. He will make everything new in the end, so he can make anything new now. When the Bible says all, it means all. And when it says never, it means never. And when it says anything, it means anything. And everything means everything. The words are very precise. It's not like us. When we say all, we mean most of the time, which is it's fine. But when the Bible says all, it really does mean all. So when God says, I'm going to make all things new, that means there's nothing that is that lies outside of the scope of his redeeming power and love. So everything in creation will be made new at the end. So what that means for us now is anything can be made new now because nothing's outside of the scope of his redeeming love. Um, We live in a fallen world. We have a vicious enemy. A lot of us get nicked a lot of times. And it hurts, and we don't like pain, and so we create um, coping mechanisms or defense mechanisms to kind of keep from getting hurt, which is totally understandable because no one likes to get hurt. And, you know, we fight or we run. It's fight or flight, and some of the ways we fight, we intimidate other people, either emotionally or physically. Some of us use sarcasm to kind of keep people away. We get defensive and justify our actions. We, We fight. If there's something coming at us, we fight back because we don't want to get hurt. Others of us run. I'm a runner. We avoid conflict. We keep superficial relationships. We kind of cut and run with people anytime things get difficult. Sometimes people who run use humor, particularly they kind of put themselves down as a defense mechanism. You can't hurt. If you're about to say something about me, if I say it first, well then there's nothing for you to say. You might do that. We use humor as a defense mechanism. Some of us, um, sometimes we kind of create an image and we put it out there and it's kind of like a pinata and you can beat that pinata all you want because I'm back here and you're not touching me. We do these different things, all either some of them are conscious, some of them are not. They're just patterns that we develop over time because we don't want to get hurt because nobody likes to get hurt. And again, we live in a fallen world. We have a vicious enemy and we're going to get hurt. But all those things are, those things are all, that's our flesh. Your flesh is anything, uh, it's behavior patterns or thought patterns that we um, practice independent of God to try to live life. Anything we do to live life independent of God comes out of our flesh and it's bad. Now we look at our flesh and sometimes what we do looks good. I've got to provide for my family so I'm going to work hard and I'm going to follow the rules. Or I'm going to lie and I'm going to cheat. Work hard, follow the rules, that looks good. Lie and cheat, that looks bad. But if if they're not done in dependence upon the Lord, then it's my flesh and it's all bad. Even following the rules is bad if I'm doing it in my flesh, if I'm doing it as opposed to relying on God to meet my needs. 
you hear that? So we develop these things, and um, kind of our, one of our big themes in 2007, particularly through the fall, has been we live out of our hearts. And if we're not comfortable with what's in our hearts, we need to get comfortable because it's going to come out eventually. Everything that's in here is going to come out of here, and it's going to come out exponentially. And if you don't like it when it's tucked away in your heart, you're going to hate it when everybody else gets to see it. And so if there are things in your heart that you don't like, you need to realize, New Year's resolution, they're fixable. And a lot of those things that are in your heart, if you find yourself being defensive, if you find yourself using sarcasm, putting yourself down, running away, keeping superficial relationships, whatever your little defense mechanism is to keep from getting hurt, if you, find, if you do that on a regular basis, it's probably because you're trying to protect something in your heart. There's some raw or wounded place in your heart that you don't want, either you don't want it exposed or you don't want it touched because it hurts when it gets touched or you're afraid people are going to bail on you if they found out, something like that. And so you're protecting this place in your heart. And what you need to know is it's going to come out eventually. It's going to. That's a law of the kingdom. If it's in there, it's coming out of you. So I would say 2008, fix it. Anything is fixable. God can fix anything. And yeah, it might hurt. I'm not going to say it won't. It might hurt some. But it'll get fixed. So if you're going to hurt, you might as well get something out of it. And what you'll get out of it is a fixed heart. So I, if, when I was going through that list, if something kind of stuck in your brain, a, yeah, I do that a lot, I tend to find myself using one of those defense mechanisms, I would say, why? Why are you doing that? Is it because there's something in your heart that's raw or wounded and you're, just, you're trying to protect it? And if there is something in your heart you're trying to protect, I would say, why? And is that something that you would allow God to fix this year? Second thing, revelation for tomorrow, faithfulness for today. Revelation for tomorrow, faithfulness for, for today. This is John 13, 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And then he washes their feet. You may remember that story. That's always been odd to me that we have this commentary from John who says Jesus knew exactly what was about to happen. He knew who he was and he knew where he was going. So what does he do? He washes these people's feet. And I would think it should have been the other way around. He was the one about to die. If anyone deserved a little foot washing... It was him. Who gets the last meal? The guy who's about to die. Not the guards who are about to lead him to his death. And that's what he washes the feet of these guys, one of whom was about to betray him. And it doesn't make a lot of sense to me why that is. Jesus had revelation for the future. He knew what was going to happen. And then he was faithful in the present. He washed the feet of the disciples. That's what the Lord told him to do. I was thinking about that and thinking about just a few months later when the disciples were big time. It was after Pentecost. Jesus had been raised from the dead. They had all this power. I mean, there was thousands of people becoming Christians, and these guys were being elevated to this huge level of stature. People were, you know, kind of semi-worshipping them and saying, you know, y'all are, y'all are it. You know, their shadows are falling on people, and they're, getting, they're, they're being made whole. All of this stuff is happening, and I would think that that kind of thing could probably go to your head. Maybe if you've got all this power and all these people are saying you're great and you're turning the world upside down and the authorities are intimidated by it. If all these things are happening, you might tend to get a little cocky. And I would wonder 
if this incident would pop back in their mind and they remembered God washing their feet and it put them back in their place every time. If you remember, Jesus had already told them about what it meant. He said, you know, first you're going to blast, you got to serve, you don't need to lord it over people when you're in leadership. He'd already given them the rundown on how to be a leader. But then he showed them how to be a leader. And I'll bet that over the coming months and years and decades when they were big time and everybody thought they were the stuff, they remembered that God washed their feet. Jesus, I wonder, he probably knew what was going on. When I look at it, I think that doesn't make any sense to me. But it does to the Lord. And for some of you, you're in a place now that doesn't make a lot of sense to you. You have a sense of where God wants you to be in the future. And you look at where you are now, and you don't see how those two dots connect at all. And I would just say, if you'll be faithful today, God can connect the dots. Just like he can, somehow it makes sense in his mind to say, you know you're going to die, so why don't you wash the feet of the guy who's about to betray you? That makes sense in God's mind. And it, it works out. He can, whatever you're doing now, he can connect those dots. We need revelation for tomorrow because we all need to know where we're headed or we're going to go in 12 different directions. That's what happens to us. So we need direction for tomorrow, but you also need to be faithful today. Only God can reveal your future, but you can only be faithful today. You can't be faithful tomorrow because you're not there. You can only be faithful today. And your faithfulness today will determine whether you get where you're going tomorrow, just like where you're going to tomorrow should determine what you do today. You get all of that. And so I, I believe there's some of you here, you look at where you are and you look at what you think God has told you to do and they don't, you can't draw a straight line between those points. And the line might not be straight, but I will say this, if you're faithful today, you'll get there. If you've heard the Lord and you're faithful today, you'll get there. Just like somehow it makes sense in God's mind to say, you know you're going to die, so wash these guys' feet. It might make sense for him to say, you look, feel like you're stuck in a dead-end job, but this is where I've got for you. Be faithful here. Be, be faithful with your money. Be faithful with your time. Be faithful with your opportunities, your relationships, your resources, everything that's God, that God gives you. Steward those things well. Be faithful in today, and then you'll inherit your future tomorrow. And for some of you, the faithful today is not a big deal. The future tomorrow is a big deal. And you just need to, you need revelation because you don't have any idea. You're just kind of doing what's next. And you don't have any sense of six months from now, let alone five years from now. I'm not saying you've got to have a five-year plan. But you don't have any idea of where you're headed. All you're doing is waking up and looking at the thing and saying, well, I've got to go here and here and here and doing that and just kind of living for bedtime or whatever it is that you're doing. And you need to somehow break out and ask the Lord to show you where you're headed. Because if you're going to Los Angeles, you take a different road than if you're going to New York. And, right, and if you don't know where you're headed, you're not, your faithfulness today will be wasted. Because there won't be any intention to it. You won't be headed in any direction. And that seems like such a waste of time when kids are screaming and you've got all these other things you've got to do to try to pull back and say, God, talk to me about my future. You're thinking, help me today. I'm drowning. But if you could break away and... Begin to ask. You don't have to spend an hour with God. Just regularly say, God, where am I headed here? I need to know. You're the only one that can see around the corner. I need to know where I'm going. And you don't have to give me the 10-year plan, but I certainly would like to know if I'm headed in the right direction or not. He'll show you. And once you get that revelation for tomorrow, you can be faithful today.
The next one, love better. This is Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. We said before, love's doing what's best for somebody else regardless of what it costs you. Those are the two greatest commandments. And I think Jesus, if he were us, would resolve next year to love better. Obviously, we can all grow in that area. Love God, we're going to kind of set that on the side. That's the biggie. But we are going to set that on the side. I was thinking about loving people and what just, if in our little world, the number of people who are here today, if in our interactions with people, if we ask this question before we interacted, God, what does it look like for me to love Jamie in this situation? God, what does it look like for me to love Ruth Allen in this situation? If Before I interacted with y'all, if I actually took time and asked or prayed, whatever you want to say, that question, God, what would it look like for me to love Bo in this situation that we're in? I wonder how much our little worlds would change if we trained ourselves to ask that question before we interacted with people. People who were in our family, people who are our friends, our neighbors, people who serve us pizza, whatever it is, if we just said, God, what does it look like for me to love blank in this situation? It's important for you to ask the Lord. Otherwise, you're just going to you're going to love somebody the way you want to be loved. Y'all done the five love languages thing. Y'all remember that? Gary Chapman. Um, what are they? Quality time, acts of service, receiving gifts, words of affirmation, physical touch. Those are the five love languages. And they say that we give love the way we want to receive it. So like if, if Misty's love language is quality time and mine is giving gifts and she's having a tough day or something and I call the flower shop and send flowers, that's a gift because that's what I want. And she might get those flowers and say, well, that's sweet, but what I really wanted was for you to come home and spend some time here. And maybe for same thing for Christmas, she says, you know what, let's just go out. You just get what you want. We'll just go to the mall together and you pick out what you want. What I want is I want her to think about me and pick something out and buy it. We're missing each other. I'm loving her the way I want to be loved and she's loving me the way she wants to be loved. And the same thing happens with other people. If you don't say, God, show me how to love this person, show me what it means to love this person in this situation, all you're going to be doing is it's you. It's You're going to be loving them the way you want to be loved. And if you happen to be someone who's a pusher and a challenger, then that's what you're going to do. And if you're a comforter, then that's what you're going to do. And if you're a Someone who gives space, that's what you're going to do. And if you're someone who pulls in real close, that's what you're going to do. Those things might be fine, but you need to ask the Lord. What does it look like for me to love blank in this situation? I was with a couple of guys the other day, and uh, I would say that, you know, I love them, and this guy is not living in reality. He's, his view of what's going on with his life is not, it's not accurate at all. He's, he's missing the, there's a big train, and he doesn't see it coming. And I didn't tell him. Because it would have been a hard thing to say. And I told y'all before, I'm a chicken when it comes to those kind of things. And I thought about it, and I was like, you know what? I need to, I'm going to go see him. I'm going to try to go see him the next, y'all can hold me accountable in the next couple of weeks. And I'm going to tell him about the train that's coming that he doesn't see. Because that's what it looks like to love him. Now, I'm not a confrontational person. And if I just said, for me, it would be, hmm, he'll figure it out on his own. Or I would pray, God, why don't you show him? Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But I'm not going to actually say anything. But what it looks like for me to love this guy is to tell him what's going on. You get that idea. So I wonder, again, what it would look like in our little worlds or however many people are in your, your life if you just train yourself next year. God, what does it look like for me to love this person in this situation? And it will be harder with the people you're close to because we get in a rut. 
and we get lazy and we just we kind of figure like we know when we kind of take it for granted all that jazz. It'll be harder with the people who you're close to than it will be with people who are kind of on the acquaintance level with you. But I'd throw that out there. I think that's something Jesus would encourage us to do. Um, and the last one, I think he would say, is for us to choose to be led and not to be driven. This is Romans 8, uh, 12 through 14. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The Holy Spirit never drives anyone. He leads. He doesn't drive. And you have two choices. You can be led by the Spirit or you can be driven by something else. That's all you got. You can be led by the Spirit or you can be driven by something else. Nothing else will lead you. It will drive you. Some of us are driven by what other people want us to do by expectations. Some of us are driven by a sense of guilt and obligation. Some of us are driven by some brokenness in our own heart, this need to perform or feeling inadequate or whatever. We can psychoanalyze all of our... But the bottom line is we're either led by the Spirit or we're driven by something else and you have to choose. What do you want? And I think what Jesus would resolve for next year is choose to be led. If you don't choose to be led intentionally, by default, you will be driven. You live here, and you know what it's like. You will be driven. And whether it's based on these expectations that you feel from other people, your own sense of guilt and responsibility, again, something in your own heart, a need to perform or to do better or please your mama or whatever it is that you've got going on, you'll be driven if you don't choose to be led. Jesus said an interesting thing several times in John. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. And I think about that for me, and I think... I do some of the things that I see the Father doing, and I do some of the things that I want to do, and I do some of the things that other people want me to do, and I do some of the things that I see other people doing, and I do some of the things that I feel like other people want me to do. But I don't just do what I see the Father doing. And I wonder if you could say, maybe you're a better person than me, and you'd say, yeah, I, that's me. I only do what I see the Father doing. And I would say, then you're being led by the Spirit. If you can't say that, then you're not, at least not totally. There's something else driving you and maybe next year, you could say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be driven. I think it's Proverbs 28:19. It says, without vision, without revelation, the people cast off restraint. And that's, what's, that's what happens to us. Because we're not being, the, the Holy Spirit, if you allow yourself to be led by him, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And he will set your agenda for you. He will kind of set priorities. He will set a course. He will set a direction. If you don't have that, you don't have that vision, then you're going to run in 12 different directions and you know what that's like. You live here, and that's what happens. You cast off restraint. You go in all kinds of different directions because there's no focus to your life that only the Lord can provide, I think, in terms of leading you and not driving you. And so I would say next year, why don't you just resolve to being led? Next year, rather than allowing all these other things that are either real or perceived to drive you, to push you to go more, do more, faster, better, whatever, why don't you say no? I'm going to allow myself to be led by the Spirit of God and see what that does for your schedule and for your peace of mind and for your life. It's a daily choice. But I do think it's probably the only way. We've talked before about busyness. I think it's probably the only way to combat busyness where we live. The choices are to get a bunch of rules and to try to follow the rules, which never works. 
or to be led by God who individually knows what's going on in all of your lives and he will give you an individual plan that will work in your life and probably won't work in mine, but it will work in yours and it will work in yours and it will work in yours for what season of life you're in. Or we can try to come up with three steps that apply to everybody. So if you have those three, you can pass them along and I'll see if they work. But I don't think they will. So choose to be led, not be driven. You know, they say that people who make New Year's resolutions, half of them fail at the end of January, 90% fail by the end of March. That's pretty depressing um, if you're a New Year's resolution maker. If you are a New Year's resolution maker, you probably are in those categories anyway. So you would say, yeah, that's me. I tend to not write mine down. That way I don't feel guilty about not doing them. I just forget. And so uh, I have no idea what I did last year, what my resolutions were last year. And I'll make some this year in my head, but I actually won't commit to them. That way if I don't follow through, it's okay. But I... Um, I would say this. We were singing that song. Um, I would not heard it before. And the verse was, I will take up my cross and follow you wherever you will go. I have a friend and he says, a lot of times the lyrics in Christian songs, they're like graduate level things. They're hard to sing and really mean. And that's one that you might think, that's pretty hard to sing. I'm going to take up my cross and follow you wherever you go. Maybe, maybe not. And I would just say this. Is that your intention? Your action might not line up with that on a daily basis. Mine doesn't. Yours might not line up on a daily basis. But is that your intention? To say, you know what? I'm going to follow you, Jesus, where you go. If you could say, yeah, that's what I want for next year. That's my intention. My, my actions always aren't going to line up. You're going to fall. And that's okay. You're going to wander. That's okay. As long as, you can, as long as the direction of your heart is to follow the Lord. I think that's what God's... Maybe that can be your deal for 2008 is to set a direction for your heart. Instead of maybe looking around at a lot of different things, to really nail it down and say, that's the direction that I'm going. And I don't fully know what that looks like in February or in September, but I'm going to set a direction in my heart. I'm going to choose to be led by the Holy Spirit and not driven by all of these other things. And resolutions, whether it's to lose weight, or to follow Jesus, most of us fail. And the reason we fail is because we're trying to do them ourselves. And the same thing's going to happen. You can, we can get all rah-rah in here if we want to and commit and cry. and We can do whatever we want to do. But the bottom line is, apart from the Spirit of God within you, you're going to fail. And you might fail in January, and you might fail in October, and you might fail in 2012, but you're going to fail. And so we need the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. And He wants to. He wants to strengthen us. He, we were never intended to live life on our own and in our own strength. All those flesh things that we talked about earlier, you're never, that's not God's intention for us. His intention for us is for us to depend upon him, not to live independent of him. We're gonna, Bo's going to come up and he's going to sing a song um, kind of over us. And I would encourage you just to take a few minutes and pray and just ask the Lord, what do you have for me next year? And maybe it's just one thing, maybe it's ten, I don't know probably somewhere in between, and ask him. You don't, you're not going to turn in a card. We're not passing out cards for anybody to turn in, and I'm going to mail them back to you in July and see how you're doing. I, I'm not going to, we're not going to do that. I'm just going to... What does God have for you in 2008? If you're not perfect, if there's some area where you need to grow, what would the Lord have you do? Maybe it's one of those things I listed. Maybe it has nothing to do with any of that. That's okay, too. 
But let's just trust that God has something for us next year. And He has something for you individually next year. And I would encourage you today to set your heart in that direction. Even if you can't see the full, how it's ever going to happen. But if that's what the Lord is kind of stirring in your heart, to set your heart in that direction. And then we can work it out as we go. Let me pray and then, uh, Bo, you can, you can sing. God, I do thank you that you're so patient with us and you just, you're patient and you're kind and you're loving and you, you walk along with us and our stumbling and wavering and all of the stuff as people that we do. But God, I also thank you that you have very clear and very definite and very wonderful plans and desires for us. And that your desire is for us to walk fully into those things. And God, we want that too. Even when we don't want it, we really do want it. And so God, I pray now as we try to get quiet and calm down and focus, I pray, Lord, that you would speak clearly to each heart in this room. That you would speak, even if it's just one If it's three words, just speak something into our hearts about next year and about where you're headed, where you're wanting us to head next year, what you're wanting to do in our life or through us, something that we can hang on to, some revelation uh, to kind of set a course for us for next year. God, we can work up a whole bunch of things, but we don't want to. Uh, We want to hear what you have to say. So come and speak to your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.